I'm Carl Summers. And I'm Georgia Glenn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. Superintendent Veterinary Inspectors Caroline Garvin and Damien Barrett join us on the show to chat about the upcoming Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marines Animal Health Awareness Week. With animal health having been identified as one of the main potential abatement measures in the Chagas Marginal Abatement Cost Curve, how can it help to improve efficiency and reduce our emissions? What are the environmental implications of antimicrobial use for both animals and humans? And why is it so important to have a robust animal health plan in place on the farm? I started off by asking Damien what the objective of Animal Health Awareness Week is. Animal Health Awareness Week evolved from um, recommendations from a, a review of our early warning surveillance system a couple of years ago. And one of the key elements of that review was that for us to emer- or to detect an emerging disease or an increase in in increased levels in what we would consider endemic diseases, well, diseases that are here all the time, um, we felt that there was a need to increase the awareness among the farming community about what good health looked like. And and when they knew what good health looked like, they'd they'd also become more aware of uh, what ill health ill health did and um, how and we while while the um, an exotic disease outbreak might, might garner the the headlines, um, endemic disease in endemic disease is probably much more costly to individual farmers. So we have um, from the whole idea of Animal Health Awareness Week was to make um, farmers more aware of the of the costs associated with these endemic diseases, but also to be aware of, and be vigilant for any emerging disease like blue tongue, foot and mouth, something like that. And Jamie, would the exotic diseases, would they be linked to imported animals? Yes, they can be linked to imported animals. Um, that, that's, that's definitely one way that they could be in, introduced to the country. Um, a disease like blue tongue could be introduced either by, um, say, it's a midge-borne disease. It could be introduced by midges being blown from um, an infected area in Europe. But I think more realistically, it's going to be walked into the country through the importation of, 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 of cattle, more, most likely cattle, I suppose. Um, so, and, but, but then there are other diseases like say African swine fever, where the threat, the threat would be, um, the, the importation of, of meat products from areas in which African swine fever is present. Damien, you mentioned endemic disease. What do you mean by endemic? Endemic diseases are those diseases that we have, um, present in the country and, um, that are present on, on, not necessarily on all farms, but they're present on a lot of farms the diseases i'm thinking particularly here would be something like um diarrhea um respiratory disease pneumonia parasitism um common and maybe i suppose tb could also be considered in in that in that it's a disease that we're not free of essentially yeah and you mentioned midge-borne diseases or that's worrying to me because there's a lot of midges, midges around here but um with global temperatures rising potentially over the next couple of years, is there potential for that to become more of a problem in Ireland? Oh, very much so. Um, th- 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 there's a couple of elements to that. There's the increase in temperatures. Um, that that's basically made, me- means that the mid season is is could be extended. Our understanding was that the mid season ran from say April to 
October, November, um, with the indications are that that could be stretching from possibly March until December now. Um, rainfall, increased rainfall also brings its risks, its own risks in that we've seen that a, a greater a greater instance of the like of rumen fluke and liver fluke in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, in And they've extended into areas in which they they weren't previously all that common, but that, that is a result of, of increased rainfall. And Caroline, Animal Health Awareness Week has been run in conjunction with World Antimicrobial Awareness Week. Can you tell me a little bit about that maybe and what does it hope to achieve? Okay, thanks, Carl. Well, I suppose in some ways the clue is in the name. The, the, the week is there. It's being held to try and increase awareness and particularly understanding of antimicrobial resistance. And it's something we've been doing now for the last number of years. We've been having this week to, to, to increase people's understanding of the role that they play in addressing antimicrobial resistance. But I suppose it's to explain what it is and effectively what it is, is, it means that our antibiotics that we've been used for the last nearly 100 years are no longer working. And without them, certain diseases we can no longer treat. And so it's to keep the antibiotics that we have, that we use currently in both ourselves and in our animals, it's to keep them effective. And I suppose it's about highlighting the, the threat of antimicrobial resistance and also the role that we can play, the actions we can take to address it. I suppose, particularly because we share the same antibiotics across the two populations. And there's also highlighting now increased focus on the environmental role of antimicrobial resistance, because every time you use or you take an antibiotic, about 60% of that antibiotic is excreted into the environment. And there's huge concern now that you have all these apart from having antibiotic resist antibiotic residues in the environment you get these antibiotic resistance genes developing and so the bacteria in the environment that we can pick up that we are exposed to have these resistant genes which means we have less treatments against these bacterial diseases a lot of the um, medically important antibiotics that are used in the country at the moment 70 percent of them seem to be used by animals not human beings I suppose that's that's quite interesting as well. It tells its own story. Well, I think yeah, Deirdre, there's a lot of focus on, on the level of use in, in, in both humans and animals at the moment. I think it's fair to say, though, there has been a reduction in the level of use in the animal population in Ireland um, from 2018 to 2019. We had a 10% drop, which is, which is very, very positive. But at the same time, because... In actual gross tonnage, there's more used in the Irish human population, but because the animals weigh so much more, there's more being used in the much animal more. health side. And as you say, there's some drugs of last resort in human health that are still used in animals. And if you have residues of these antibiotics in our wastewater, in our soil, and then there's resistance genes developing in bacteria, we are then exposed to these bacteria because they're circulating in the environment. And there's a risk then that when we go to hospital, the antibiotics won't work. Won't work. Yeah. It's quite worrying, really, isn't it? You know, if you think about the revolution when, when uh, we got these medications into the world and how it changed the world and how it changed humanity, really, and, and animals, not just humans. But if, if things start to go wrong, uh, and we can't control, uh, I suppose, bacteria or issues maybe with, with, with these kind of medications, we're, we're going to be under severe pressure. And am I right in saying that uh, the, the bacteria that's been affected could potentially affect either human or animal? So 
depending on who's using it, it, it can affect the other. Absolutely. And, and we carry out surveillance now for zoonotic diseases like Salmonella or Campylobacter because the same bacteria that causes diseases in the animals can spread across to ourselves. And indeed, it's gone the other way. We've seen it in companion animals where it's gone from the dog to the owner. So, you know, we're in this shared environment. It, we talk about the One Health the one health concept and that's because there's such a huge link between human health animal health and then environmental health so if we're contaminating the environment with antibiotics that are being excreted from the animals that we've treated and then these antibiotics are, are causing resistance in certain bacteria then as i said we are exposing ourselves to these bacteria for instance through our water and we are at risk then of picking them up. And we might never have taken an antibiotic ourselves, but we're still picking up the resistant bacteria from the water. For instance, the, the water that we're swimming in, in the sea. You know, it, it, it's, we're all very closely linked now. Um, Damien, I suppose as part of our knowledge transfer programme, advisors encourage farmers to have an animal health plan in place. Why is good animal health so important um, from a certain sustainability perspective um from a sustainability perspective i suppose livestock are getting a lot of a lot of bad press as you're as you're well aware of and and it's predominantly through the issue of of biomethane uh and i suppose we, we can we can argue the rights or the wrongs of it but i think i think it's fair to say that uh, biomethane is is at the heart of this this debate the issue with biomethane is, is that it's it's considered from a greenhouse gas perspective to be i think about 23 times as potent as um as carbon dioxide but it doesn't it doesn't remain in the environment as long but i i think there is going to be an onus on 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 livestock farmers or cattle farmers and and sheep farmers to reduce the level the level of of uh, biomethane production and this this can be achieved through um make to increase in production efficiency as and as much if not by reducing numbers and for example you may have seen there last week that uh, our, our minister said that uh, a, a three-month reduction in in the age of slaughter age could result in a 12 percent reduction in the level of greenhouse gases produced by by beef animals but for that for that target to be reached animals need to be um need to be uh, producing at an optimal level and um good health good health is a key way as a key part of 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 that opt of optimizing that production efficiency as well as that um reducing reducing uh, levels of culling and um i suppose making sure that all animals on a holding are 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 at work essentially um that that they're not for want of a better better word hanging around having a holiday with say um very long calving intervals or um or or, or, or anything like basically an animal an animal that's productive or non-productive is is going to be producing relatively similar amounts of, of methane so it's important that that they're that they're working and are producing as efficiently as possible yeah that's very very true 
that's a massive one, isn't it? Trying to finish animals off even a little bit quicker across across the globe would make a huge difference. Yeah. Even we can focus on fertility, EBI, and we all have had animals at some stage that even something like a, 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 maybe a case of pneumonia or something as a calf really sets the animal back um, as they get in into their lifestyle and it, it really puts them back trying to finish. Um, it's interesting you mentioned about pneumonia because I, I was just in preparing for, for these podcasts, I was I was doing some research and I, I saw um, one one reference said that a severe case of pneumonia as a calf had the potential to increase calving intervals by up to 12% over the lifetime of, of the animal. So that's the after effects of this ill are the, the consequences of this ill health are not just the here and now that could be, the could be over the lifetime of the animal. So it's important to, and the first year in life, even the first six months, like that's where the bulk of the ill health is going to, occur so it's it's critically important that the the health of that age cohort is 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 maximized so health plan and management good management yes. are, are are crucial really correct and just to just to compound your pointer damien if, if we look at the the chagas marginal abatement cost curve or the mac curve as a lot of people know it now um, it's designed to find measures that, that I suppose reduce greenhouse gases across the farm and it, it costs them, be it positive or negative. But the fourth, um, the fourth greatest abatement potential for an individual measure is actual animal health on the cost curve. And not alone that, but it's a cost saving to the farm. So it, it's nothing but positives, like just to invest a bit of time with your local vet, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I think it, there's the great benefit about um, sustainable farming is that it's profitable. I think um, if if we were to um, optimize these efficiencies, I think it's it's a win-win both for the environment and and for the the farmer the farmer from a from a, an economic point of view. Caroline, a lot of people have some awareness around issues regarding antimicrobial use, but can you tell me what the environmental implications are? Well, the environmental implications are that every time you use an antibiotic or an antimicrobial, at least 60% of it goes into the environment. And that serves as a reservoir for the resistance, the resistance genes, if you like, that then are picked up by the bacteria that cause the disease. So you're, you're, you're feeding the development of resistant bacterial disease each time you use an antibiotic. So it goes back to Damien's point about animal health then you have this resistant bacteria that's more costly to treat, less effective treatments available. So again, it comes into the whole sustainability issue. Healthy animals mean less antimicrobials, mean less AMR resistant bacteria in the environment. So everything is interlinked. And you know, the less antimicrobial resistant bacteria in the environment, the better for ourselves. Because in 2019, there were over 5,000 recorded, and I mean, this is an underestimate, 5,000 recorded hospital um, antimicrobial resistant infections, and there were 250 deaths. Now, they say that's an underestimate, but it's a real, it's a real public health concern. And so, you know, anyone that's using antibiotics has a responsibility to use as little as possible. So it goes back to the whole thing of healthy animals don't need antibiotics. It's down the road of vaccination that, that we need to go. And again, it has been shown in research, possibly by yourselves, that, you know, the use of vaccination, while an initial cost, 
long term you have a you know a quicker finishing time you have better productivity better live weight gain and the cost of any disease in terms of vet bills medication and you know impact on productivity is huge so it, it's all about disease prevention optimal animal health but the environment i mean we all have a responsibility now to to to, to watch our environment and to and to keep it as free of antibiotic residues and resistant bacteria as possible and I think you make a really valid key point there that it goes back to that old saying that we've heard for years, prevention is better than cure. But he, and I just go back to what we spoke about a second about the sick calf and 20, 30 years ago, we always had a few bottles of penicillin sitting up on, on the shed. And if you saw a calf getting a little bit shook, you'd inject it straight away. But now I suppose there's a massive sea, sea change and we're gone to the, the stage where we're looking for better facilities, better housing, trying to reduce, I suppose, those kind of things happening be, to try and reduce the amount of, of antibiotics. Absolutely, Carl. I mean, it, it's it's not about firefighting anymore. It's about looking ahead and predicting what kind of issues, looking at herd health plants. What diseases do I have every year on the farm? How can I better address them? And most of it goes back to biosecurity, whether it's hygiene, buying in, you know, looking after when the calves are born, dipping their navels, you know, all those little things. But the reality is there's new medicines, veterinary medicines legislation coming into force in the 28th of January next year. And a huge focus and the driver behind that legislation is to address antimicrobial resistance. And what that legislation is saying, you should only use minimal amounts, reduce your use of antibiotic and your vet will not be prescribing vast quantities of antibiotics for you to keep on the farm. That's not gonna happen. And they'll only be prescribing enough to treat the disease. And perhaps you may have one bottle left on farm, but you will only, and you will not be having bottles of what we call drugs of last resort in human healthcare. So things like Batril or, or Draxin or Barbacil, because they're used when nothing else works in human health. So we cannot be using them in animal health unless they're absolutely needed and they're, they're nothing else that will work. So I think farmers will, will have to look and have different expectations from their vet. It's a bit like when we go into the doctor and we expect a prescription because we have a cough. No long, you know, if it's a viral infection, antibiotics won't work. So vets now will have to, you know, have different approach to to um, addressing disease. But it does go back to prevent disease. It's 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 antibodies, not antibiotics, that we want in our animals now. You know, it's all about disease prevention. Could potentially inappropriate use or high usage. Um, you know, promote increased resistance passed through soil and also through meat. Absolutely, Deirdre. And there has been research done on looking at wastewater and sewage. And they have found, I think there was an EPA report out last week, that there are still 30 towns discharging raw sewage into our water. And they have found highly resistant E. coli in our waterways. And even though we have we have monitoring in place in this country under an EU water framework where they check for levels of E. coli and another bacteria, an enterococci, but they don't check for the resistance in the bacteria. And they have found NUIG have done a lot of research on this. They found very high levels of E. coli that's resistant to these drugs of last resort that I've just talked to. You know, so it, it's out there. And, you know, people might say, well, I've never taken an antibiotic. How did I get this? This, But it could even be from drinking water, swimming. You know, everyone's back swimming in the sea now. 
But, you know, if there is discharge going in and if it hasn't been treated, because some of the wastewater treatment will not remove these resistant genes. So, you know, it's, it's just it, it's, it's, it's a melting pot, if you like. Do you know, everything is swimming around together. We're there, the animals are there, and these resistant bacteria are out there in our water, in our soil. And I just might mention, actually, we're doing a nationwide soil survey starting next month where we take soil samples from 10,000 farms and we're checking for resistant E. coli in those soil samples. So that will give a really good, it's the biggest survey ever been done in Europe, give us a picture of what's going on in our environment. Excellent. Damien, the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine are running um, a webinar series for Animal Health Awareness Week. Can you give us some of the details about the series? These are going to start on the uh, the 18th of, of November. Um, I'll, I'll speak on the ones on, on animal health first and maybe Caroline will, will come in then on, on those that are, are, are more focused on AMR. Um, we're having a a webinar on the 22nd it's it's one health um um focusing on zoonotic disease and we're going to have speakers from um our first speakers from the uk from a group over there that um look at zoonotic risks um which look i i i'm involved with each each month um and they do risk assessments on on exotic or on zoonotic diseases that are are on the radar for both the the veterinary and medical medical worlds um we're going to have a speaker from the hse on on irish what are the common irish zoonosis um speaker on tick-borne fever um i suppose tick ticks are becoming more prevalent um as as grazing areas are some areas are undergrazed and they, they carry a threat and there's also um a speaker on on the threat of of zoom of salmonella from from dogs that are fed raw meat um we're also having a, a the final webinar on the 24th and that's going to be about emerging threats and we'll have a speaker on foot and mouth disease that a guy that diagnosed foot and mouth in in um Northern Ireland in 2001, and just recounting his experience, the threat of blue tongue, um, how how biosecurity is important for controlling low path avian influenza. Um, we've speaker on on African swine fever, um, the veterinary contribution actually to the NEFID modelling. Um, if you remember, COVID is actually considered a zoonosis. It's spilled over from, from animals. And we're also going to have a speaker on recounting or describing as, how, how the, the value of, of um, antimicrobials that worked in, in immunocompromised patients, how, how important that is. So, Caroline, do, do you want to talk on that, on the, um, the other webinars that have more of an AMR focus? Yeah, thanks, Damien. So just to quickly go through on November the 18th, which is European Antibiotic Awareness Day, we have an AMR webinar. We have two speakers on the human health side. We have a professor from NUIG, he's a consultant microbiologist, um, HSC lead on AMR. And he's talking about his experience in the hospital side of how things have, you know, the challenges he faces finding antibiotics that will work. And then we have a GP who will speak from the community side, the challenges she faces in terms of, you know, the buildup of resistance to certain treatments. Then we have a pig farmer who has managed to various strategies to reduce his use of antibiotics on farm to practically zero and really his key message is he stopped using antibiotics and he moved over to vaccines and 
improved his biosecurity, his farm management. So it's just to show it's it's we're trying to have champions around this whole anti-AMR, you know, series and, and show that it can be done. It's not just the department saying you should do it. We want to show that it can be done. And then we have a speaker from the UK who's giving the perspective of what they've done over there in terms of addressing AMR, both from an economic and environmental perspective, as well as from a health perspective. And then the, the third seminar is on the 23rd of November. It's focusing again on herd health and highlighting the importance of proactive herd health planning in both maximizing animal health and reducing your AM usage, which obviously reduces AMR. So we have a speaker talking about the use of bulk milk testing as a herd health management tool. We have a speaker from the UK who's a sheep health consultant talking about a program they developed over there, working to establish good antimicrobial um, prescribing between vets and their farmers so showing again how it can be done and then we have a focus on selective dry cow therapy which will be very much this is the direction of the new regulations reducing your use particularly no more blanket treatment with antibiotics and then finally we have a speaker on the parasitic challenges at farm level and I suppose it's important to, to remind your listeners that from January the 28th all antiparasitics will become POM medicines so all farmers will need a prescription from their vet to prescribe these um, to use these but also to say at the environmental level it's also been shown with the antiparasitics that they do have quite a significant effect on biodiversity and it has been shown that certain certain um, antiparasitics have significantly you know reduced the population of the dung beetle and obviously the dung beetle has a significant role in aerating the soil so again it's just showing the one health that everything we do impacts on our environment yeah, look, we're big fans of dung beetles here, so we don't like to hear that happening on you. But uh, look, it's great to see such a huge effort being put into animal health and awareness and really enjoyed the chat today. And best of luck with Animal Health Awareness Week. Thanks a million, Caroline, and thanks a million, Damien. Thanks, thanks very, very much, for... guys. That's it for this episode of the Chagask Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Superintendent Veterinary Inspectors, Caroline Garvin and Damien Barrett for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Georgia Glenn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.